Okay, I'm really glad you're here. Um, we're going to talk about Sukkot, and we're going to try to uh, just talk very deeply about um, one of the hallmarks of this time, which is, we say this is the time of our joy, Zman Simchasenu, and try to get a, uh, a handle on, on what that means. And I, I'd like to suggest um, uh, a number of different levels uh, to address it. But basically... To give you the overall kind of um, uh, sense, I think that Sukkot is, is the time of our joy because basically it's a time of harmony and integration. And we're going to see that on a number of different levels. We're going to see that on a divine level. We're going to see that um, in terms of uh, the material world and the spiritual world. We're going to see it in terms of body and soul. We're going to see it in terms of the ordering of the holidays. So there's a lot of... Um, a lot of different aspects that we're going to sort of approach this notion of harmony and integration at. So let me just begin by, uh, on the sort of the most cosmic level, which is that um, I learned from Reb Shlomo that there's a minig, there's a holy custom uh, in Bavav and in other places among the Hasidim, different, different quarters of the Jewish people, that one of the decorations that you have in the sukkah is 91 apples or 91 birds. So, what's the, what's the whole idea of this? And really, the, the answer is in this question, this number of 91. And um, 91 is, is very emblematic of the sukkah. On the most direct level, it's the gematria of the word sukkah when you put the, word, when you put the letter vav in it. Sometimes sukkah is spelled with the letter vav. So, if you spell it samich, which is 60, vav is 6, so that's 66. Chaf, that's 86, and hey. That's 91. Okay? So, so, so what is this idea of sukkah being the gematri of 91? Why would, why would different sort of holy quarters of the Jewish people want to really highlight that fact? And so it goes back to this notion of integration and harmony. Okay? Which is that this number 91 is the gematri of two very prominent names of God added up. And they stand for different things. It's the Yudke Vavke, which stands for the infinity of God, and it's Aleph Dalad Nunin Yud, pronounced Adonai, and that stands for God's mastery of this world within borders. So we have these two aspects of God's mastery over the world. His mastery on the infinite level, God beyond borders, and God operating within borders, within nature. Okay? And when you put these two concepts together, the infinity of God, and God operating within the parameters of nature, controlling nature, those two concepts add up to 91, and that's what's expressed in the sukkah. And how do we see it in the sukkah? How do we see this integration? I'll put it a different way. What is the sukkah? The sukkah is basically our base of Migdash. It's a base of Migdash that we can build. And what is this concept of the base of Migdash, the, the, the Mishkan? It's this integration, this confluence of heaven and earth coming together. So that's these two names of God, expressed by these two names of God. Al-Asad Nun and Yud, which is 65, and the Yud Kevavke, which is 26, add up to 91, which is the Gematri of sukkah. Now, interestingly, the more common spelling of sukkah, I'm just giving you this as a PS, the more common spelling of sukkah doesn't have the letter vav in it. It's just samach khafhe. Okay? So it's very, very striking that really this spelling of sukkah has the letter vav in it. Because everybody knows the letter vav means to connect. And so this is the connection between heaven and earth. So when you walk in, you feel this sense of harmony in the sukkah, first of all, because the sukkah is one of the few mitzvahs out of the entire Torah that you put your whole body into. Right? The mikvah is one of them. Living in Israel is another one. Sukkah is another one. I've heard sadaka being another one, because you earn the money with the labor of your body, basically, and then you give it over. So it sort of contains your whole life force. Um, anyway, so, in fact, in Hebrew, the word for money and blood share the same root, dam, 
So, so that's because you put your life force into earning the money. And so it, it contains that. Anyway, so here you have this whole idea of integration on the heaven and earth level. So that's, that's, that's our first approach in terms of understanding the sukkah. Now, there's something else that's... Let's talk about it on the level of body and soul now for a moment. Because I think another reason why this is the time of our happiness is because you have this, this beautiful integration and this equilibrium of body and soul at this time during the year. Now, in Rosh Hashanah, we discuss the concept that the real hallmark of the, the avoda, the spiritual work of Rosh Hashanah, is to make Hashem king, to make God king in the world. And if you believe in God, and you believe that God runs the world, it's not so hard to say, Hashem Melech, right? But God is king, right? But, but there's another aspect to this that we were discussing that I wanted to point out, which is that, you see, God puts a piece of himself into all of us. That's our soul. And acknowledging that that piece within ourselves, that soul, is the king over us, right? In other words, let me put it in a different way, that our soul is the defining characteristic of our persona, that our soul, natural place in the hierarchy of our consciousness is to dominate the body, to oversee the body like a rider directs the path of the horse. The soul is supposed to direct the body. That's the normal harmony. That's the, the, the person is in equilibrium if their I, if their sense of I is their spiritual self. And that they understand that their body is a vehicle through which the soul expresses itself in this world. So you can, if you meditate on this, it's, it's, it's fairly far out. That means that your mouth is just this tool so that your soul can speak. Your mouth is there so your soul can speak. Right? Your hands are there so that your soul can hold a lulav and an esrog, for instance. Right? Or give tzedakah. Or shake someone's hand. Or comfort someone if they're sad. Right? That's, that's it's just, it's, it's an exoskeleton of the soul. Okay. So after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, after we've done all of this spiritual work, the soul now is ascended. And it's in its proper relationship with the body. Now, let's go further in terms of this thought and expand it to physicality and materiality in general. The thing that defines the sukkah, the aspect that defines the sukkah, is actually the schach. And what I mean by that is, all the different parts of the sukkah are actually very important. But the sukkah, if it only has two and a half walls instead of four walls, is still a kosher sukkah. So in other words, you can't say that to be completely surrounded by the walls of the sukkah, that the walls are the defining characteristic, because if you're missing some of the walls, you can still have a kosher sukkah. So when does the on switch, so to speak, in terms of the light coming down, in terms of the kedusha, the holiness of the, su- the sukkah, get activated? Well, there's a rule in terms of building a sukkah. First you put up the, ro- the walls, then you put on the schach. The schach is the, the branches that cover the sukkah, right? Palm fronds or leaves or, or whatever you have. Once that's on top of the sukkah and there's more shade than sunlight, coming in, or enough to make sure that there's more shade than sunlight coming in, then you have, it's on. All of a sudden you've got a a sukkah. Your sukkah is now made. So the schach is what it's all about. Now, there's a very interesting halacha, very interesting law regarding the schach, which is that you've got to be able to see through the schach. In other words, you've got to be able to see to the heavens, to the stars, through the schach. And again, just playing on what we said earlier, this is emblematic of this letter vav, of this integration between heaven and earth, that you have to be able to see, you have to be able to see the stars, right? I once said one time that the schach 
It, it's got to be Adama. That's vegetation. That's how you say it in Hebrew. Adama. Adama, if you rearrange the letters of Adama, it spells Ha'adam, which means the person. So, a person should understand that the only thing separating you and the stars is yourself. Right? That's the only thing coming between you and reaching your own potential. Just breaking through whatever barriers and walls that you erect for yourself. Right? So, you've got to break through. But let's go more deeply into this idea that you have to see through the schach. Because one of my favorite all-time pieces of Torah, I learned from Rabbi Tatz, and he said the following, that he, he explained what the concept of Jewish beauty is. So, interestingly, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, right, one of the greatest people who ever lived, and who Rashi points out was a greater prophet than Abraham, because there's a certain point where Abraham is given a test, and he doesn't know what to do, and God says, listen to what your wife says. So, so obviously, obviously, Sarah heard and understood God's will even better at this moment anyway than Abraham did. Okay? So Sarah was totally beautiful. She was absolutely beautiful. And the first name, I think it's the very first name that she's called by in the Torah, uh, even before Sarai, if I'm not mistaken, but certainly one of her names, was Yiska. Yiska means to gaze. And the reason why she had that name, clearly, is because she was so beautiful and people used to look at her. I thought You know what? We've got no shortage of beautiful women. Thank God. We're, we're, we're doing good in that category. So, so but, but Sarah was the mother of all the Jewish people. She was the very, the very first Jewish woman ever. So we got good genes to start the program with. And, um, and the idea is like this, that, that Jewish beauty is not a physical concept. That yiska, that the root of that word yiska, is the same root as the word schach. And we said schach, this sort of vegetative covering over the sukkah, you have to be able to see through it. So, in other words, Sarah has the same name as schach, and just like you have to be able to see through schach, so the nature of her beauty was such that you could see God acting through her. In other words, she was sort of like a clear window. And when you saw her act and do chesed, saw her do kindness in the world, what you actually experienced was God flowing through her and that God was doing these things. So that's an unbelievable concept of beauty. Because most of the world, if you ask them what's beauty, what's a beautiful woman, or a beautiful man, or whatever it is, they'll say, well, they should be this tall, and they should have these measurements, or whatever it is. I mean, they're going to address the physical nature of it. But this is like a breakthrough. This is a breakthrough. That someone who's beautiful that their body is subservient to their soul, is just a vehicle for their soul, and that you actually can experience that God is acting through them. So, with this in mind, I shared with you a couple of times, but I just, I just want to mention it again. You know, something that kind of I experienced while giving tzedakah, giving charity, uh, Thank God more than once. And the idea was that, you know, I was giving a, a banana to someone homeless. He was sitting on the sidewalk. I handed it to him. I like giving bananas to people because they don't have to eat them right away. They can hold on to them. They stay clean. You know, it's got a wrapper so the person doesn't have to worry about where it came from or whatever it is. There's sort of like a trust level in it. And who doesn't like bananas? <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so it's, a good, it's, a good, it's a good thing to give, you know? And um, anyway, I was giving this guy a banana. And so one level is, you're giving them a banana, and I'm a nice guy, right? I gave a guy a banana, right? 
I was going to have it for breakfast, but I see he has it, so I'm giving it to him. He needs it more than me. Okay, that's one level. So what's a, what's a higher level? A higher level is that you say, you know something? I'm not giving him the banana. I'm not feeding him. God is feeding him. So all of a sudden, now you're giving him the banana, and you don't even exist. God's giving him a banana. Now an even higher level than that is, you get to watch God give him the banana. <laughs> because you're not even there. And then I remember thinking, like, all these things like, God, thank you. Wow, God, I'm watching you feed people. This is awesome. Not only that, but that guy's banana somehow was in my kitchen. Only you, God, could know that that banana actually belonged to him, and you got him his banana back. You know, by the way, you should know, this is, the Orchayim brings this down. That's not like some, I'm not just telling you that. The concept in terms of tzedakah is that for whatever reason, the person who you're giving tzedakah to, and you should remember this, this is a very important foundation in giving charity, that the person who you are giving the charity to, for whatever reason, and we're not here to judge people and that's not the point of this, for whatever reason he didn't merit or she didn't merit to receive that money directly from God in the form of, say, a salary, for instance, okay? or a lottery winning, or whatever, however you want to put it, okay? So, so as a result, he's getting his own money through you. But it's his money, and it was always his money, it just was given to you. So, this is important, because sometimes people can become arrogant when they give tzedakah. And they can think, oh, I'm such a great guy, right? But, as a check and balance for your own self, understand that you're returning the person's money back to them. And that way you can do it with, with humility. Um, anyway, but what's, what's the real point here? The point here is, is building on this concept of Jewish beauty. That you can be like the schach. You can be that window through which just God flows into the world. And you can even disappear, so to speak. And it's just God doing it. And people can experience godliness through you. Now, now we're going to get deeper into the sukkah using this as a concept. You see? So the idea is that, see, so often we experience the, the physical world and our own bodies as like a lockbox. Not only that, but we tend to think that the reality of my existence is such that I'm physical. You know? Like I can touch my body that's, because that's, that's who I am. You know? We talked about this once. It's one of the scarier pieces of Torah that I've ever heard in my life. That, that if a person doesn't live in proper balance, if they don't live in harmony, if they don't understand that the, their soul is the essence of their existence, and they become really immersed in physicality um, and materiality over the course of their life, that what happens is, is that the soul gets programmed, or brainwashed, if you want to be dramatic, into thinking that it's a physical entity. Now, why is that? Why is that? In other words, the soul begins to think that it's also part of the body. Okay? Now, why is that so terrible or scary or whatever it is because after 120 when a person dies and the soul tries to ascend for a person like this the soul doesn't know to ascend because the soul thinks that it's part of the body and as such the path of the soul through the body is described by the Gomorrah as a thorn being pulled through cotton the soul literally has to be ripped out of the body. And not only is the soul ripped out of the body, because it doesn't know that it's just free to go, right? And that it's another category of existence. That it can just, as opposed to, by the way, the Gomorrah says, a hair being whisked through milk. Right? That's just the most effortless, just the soul goes, ah. Just goes, ah. You know? 
You know, interestingly, I heard from Gedaya Gerfine this explanation, very interesting, that a person, we talk about a, a death rattle. Like, at the end of a person's life, oftentimes a person will go, like, there's a kind of like a gurgling sound that they admit that's called the death rattle. You know? You can see it in lots of horror stories and things like that. They talk about death rattles. Um, but anyway, they knew about this from the time of the Gomorrah, okay? You know, this has been with us for a long time. And they say that it makes the, 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 the death rattle makes one of two sounds, basically, which is either um, basically the sound that accompanies a hair being whisked through milk, which is something akin to, ah, which is translated as, it's all true. Everything I learned, it's all true. Or, ah, 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 which is translated as, it's all true! (laughs) Everything I've been learning, it's all true! (laughs) And that's, that's, I guess, the sound as the soul is being ripped from the body, right? So, two sounds. Um... Anyway, so, so many people, and there are tons of levels within this. I don't want to suggest that we've got just extremes, that you're either one or the other, because there are gradations, um, and, you know, throughout this, throughout this entire thing, okay? Um, so, 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 in terms of a sliding scale of physicality or spirituality, you know? So, so the idea is like this. Just like schach represents the physical world, and it's got to be opened, that's, the, that's, that's, materi- that's, that's just one's material existence. And you see, on a deeper level now, the body is the sukkah of the soul. The body is the sukkah of the soul. So if the body is in proper harmony. The body should be like the schach. In other words, it should be open. It should just be this porous entity through which the soul can express itself. You understand? So that's why this is the time of our joy. Because basically everything is in its proper balance. And it's awesome. It's a a great thing. Now listen to this. There's something really really interesting about um, about sukkus. And now I want to integrate sukkus in terms of the cycle with Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and sukkus. And, you know, in terms of my own spiritual journey and my learning, you know, it's like when I've gotten to Rosh Hashanah over the years, it's like, there's only Rosh Hashanah. All that exists is Rosh Hashanah. Then you get to Yom Kippur. It's like, ah, Yom Kippur. It's like, each one is like, you know, a thousand volume set of thoughts that you've got to like work through. And then comes circus And like, circus is, you know, there's so much, so many thoughts and everything like that. And over time, as you go through the cycle and you go through the cycle and you go through the cycle and you go through the cycle, it's sort of like, one is better to integrate the fact that it's really a unit and it's really culminating towards something. You know what I mean? They're not just disparate, like, things, you know? So, with that in mind, Sukkot is really the culmination of this unit. And my proof, if you want a proof, is the fact that we say the Psalm Ledavid, starting in Elul, because that's really the process. It's Elul, through Rosh Hashanah, through the Aser Simei the Ten Days of Awe, through Yom Kippur, all the way through Sukkot and Shemini Atzeres. So in other words, the fact that the sages said that we should say the 27th Psalm during this entire section of the year is they're instructing us, they're hinting to us that we're to regard this entire period of time as a unit that keeps on culminating. Okay? So what's the idea of Sukkot with this in mind? And more specifically, what is this mitzvah? We say, you see, see, what's so great about Judaism and Torah is that we define everything. We define everything. It's not just lofty concepts. 
It's always going to come down to something very tangible and specific. Like, for instance, in terms of happiness, that will mean having meat and wine at a meal. Right? It's like, you can get a lot of lofty concepts, but it's also going to boil down to meat and wine. All right? Or a new dress, or some nuts or toys for the kids. Right? Because, you know, we've talked about this concept, I won't go too much into it right now, maybe a little bit later, of tzimtzum, which is sort of the spiritual being condensed steadily until it exists in a materialized state. Right? All lofty concepts in Torah will have a point in halacha where it sort of like materializes in this world, where an idea becomes a reality. Okay? So, so we don't just say, with this in mind, we don't just say that sukkis is zman simchasenu, the time of our joy. We actually have this amazing mitzvah where God says, be happy for seven or eight days, like depending on whether you're living in Israel or outside of Israel, be happy. We have a mitzvah to be happy. Now, just to tell you just how interesting this mitzvah is, the Vilna Gon, one of the greatest sages in all of Jewish history, said for him personally, this was the hardest mitzvah to fulfill. Out of all the mitzvahs. Right? And that's not because he was a sourpuss or something like that. Like he had a bad attitude. It's because, and not only that, it's a mitzvah de'oraisa to be happy these days. That means that you've got a list of things in the Torah. Don't kidnap. Don't murder. Be happy. Put on tefillin. Right? Don't commit adultery. Don't, you know what I mean? This this is up there in the mitzvahs deraisa. So to be happy during this period of time is not just like, we don't just say it's the time of our happiness. Be happy! <laughs> You've got to be happy. So, it's a, it's a, so, so, so how do you, why is this time of happiness coming now? So what I think it is, is, is that after the spiritual work of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a person... Here, let me take a step back. Here's just the premise that I'd like to suggest, which is that happiness is the guardian of purity. Happiness is the guardian of purity. And I think that the reason why God is giving us this mitzvah to be happy for this lengthy period of time right now is because he wants to guard and protect the spiritual level that we reached over Elul and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And the way to do that, the way to safeguard this higher spiritual level that we've reached, is to be happy. Now, let's go further with this thought, because it's the, the system that God designed for us is really amazing. It's divine. Okay? How, how are we being happy? God says, dwell in the sukkah during this period when you're supposed to be happy. So what's the sukkah? What did we say? It's the integration of heaven and earth. Right? Sukkah, Gematria 91. yud ke Alef Dalad Nun Yud. Coming together, integrating with that extra vav, right? Tying together heaven and earth. Body and soul. The soul being ascendant over the body. Materialism being porous. You've got to be able to see through it, right? But now listen to this. Even more intense. God says, be happy in the sukkah. Okay? A lot of people miss this because it's kind of hidden away in the, in the farewell to the sukkah prayer. Okay? So a lot of people don't run across this concept until sukkah is actually already over. Right? But if you've gone through the cycle a number of times, then you can access a teaching like this now in the beginning of the holiday. Which is among the things that we say when we leave the sukkah for the last time. Listen to this. It's so intense. We say, God, if it was decreed on me that I should have to go into exile this year, please, God, count my time dwelling in the sukkah as the fulfillment of this decree of exile that's been put on me this year. So that if it's on me, I've already fulfilled it and it should be over. Because the idea of a sukkah is you're, you're exiling yourself from your home, 
into this very temporary structure. Okay? But now listen to this. So dwelling in the sukkah is going into exile. And what does God say? What are we supposed to do with our sukkah? Make it beautiful! You have to decorate your sukkah! You've got to make your sukkah beautiful! So God's saying, I'm giving you the mitzvah to be happy. How are you being happy? By making your exile. By making the temporariness of this world. By making the ascendancy of the soul and the porousness of materiality joyous, beautiful. Make it beautiful. And be happy about it. Be happy about it. The body is the sukkah of the soul and the, and, and, and the body is only temporary. It's great. It's great. It's great. It means I've got just a little bit of time in this world. If I've only got a little bit of... You know something? If someone told you, okay, I'm taking you to the worst party in history, and you got five minutes. I can enjoy that party. I'm telling you. I can definitely enjoy that party. Five minutes? Come on. Well, look at the pictures on the walls, the books that the guy's got in his bookshelf. I'll drink a glass of soda. Right? I'll say hi to someone. You know? So it's sort of like our time in this world. It's, it's, it's scarily fast. It's scarily fast. You know, I just read this, um, this neuroscientist. I can't tell you his name. But this was written up in the New Yorker uh, a short time ago. And this neuroscientist is studying the way we perceive the passage of time. And I was so happy to read this because I've been talking about this for a while because I've seen it in my own life, which is that as I get older, time goes faster. And I keep noticing that. By the way, if you keep Shabbos, you will live longer. Okay? I know this for a fact. And I'll tell you why. I'm not saying that you will live more years. That's not my department. (laughs) But you will live longer. And I'll tell you why. Because... We do something, not every week at our Shabbos table, but a lot of times, where we'll say, where were we last Shabbos? And then we'll try to remember. First of all, it's just amazing that you have to think for a while before you can remember. And then, or who are we, or who are we, or who are we with, right? And then we'll say, how long ago did that seem to you? And it's sometimes, rarely, we'll say, a few minutes ago. Most of the time we'll say, two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Like, when you're mindful of the passage of time as you're living it, you get so much more out of life. I mean, I can't even tell you. You go through these three-day holiday cycles. They seem to last for weeks. You know? I mean, what, the way we're able to mine life with the mitzvahs and the holidays and the various observances. So, what this neuroscientist was saying was that, that when new information, when someone experiences new information, time goes more slowly. Okay? Now, for instance, he gives a very, this is a, a well-known phenomena, okay? Which is, if something terrible happens, God forbid, and the example that he was giving was like breaking a, like a Ming vase or some incredibly valuable vase. And he was interviewing the person who kn- knocked it off its pedestal accidentally. And he said, I saw it falling in slow motion. Right? Because every moment of that experience was brand new and horrifying to the person who it was happening to. So every single moment was separately and independently imprinting itself on the person. Like if you, the period when you fall in love, right? It's sort of like, that would seem to take a long time because it's sort of like, um, and now we're crossing the street together. (laughs) You know, it's like, normally it's like, all right, I'm crossing the street. But it's, now we're crossing the street together. Right? I didn't imagine this person. They're still there on the other side of the red light, you know? So, so the thing is, is that as a person grows older, most people 
settle into routines and their routines don't contain new enough information that should slow down time. And interesting? Because you don't need to, the brain doesn't need to slow it down in order to imprint anything because a pathway has already been made for that particular experience. So we perceive time as going much faster even though the earth is still spinning at the same rate as it was when we were younger. That's, anyway, just to share that with you. So, so getting back to this idea, God says, my point though was that life is short no matter what. So, but God says, go into the, go into the, Go into exile, go into the sukkah, make it beautiful, and be happy. Right? Because you're going into the year. After Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you've got sukkahs, and then you're going into the year. Right? So that's really going into exile, if you will. You know? But now you've got this, you've conditioned yourself to be besimcha, to be happy. And, you know, how do you be happy? How is that a guardian for purity? Because happiness is largely contingent on gratitude. And you just, one of the great tools for staying happy, for being happy, or pulling yourself out of a place of unhappiness, is to just keep on thanking God. Run through all of the things in your life that you're happy about, that you don't even think about. Say, thank you, God, that I'm able to stand, that I've got legs, that I've got two legs. My dad had his leg amputated. He didn't have two legs, right? So thank God that I'm able to stand. Thank God that I've got two legs. If you do, if you don't, just thank God I have something else. You know, thank God that I've got eyes that can see, ears that can hear. Thank God that I'm breathing right now. Thank God that I have some clothes on my body. And if you... Keep on enumerating things. At a certain point, I promise you, you'll be like, I have so much. I have so much. I thought I had nothing because all I was doing was seeing life and my relationship with you, God, through the prism of what I was lacking. And I was allowing that to define my existence. Just what I was lacking. And if you keep on enumerating these things, I promise you, it may be the third thing you say thank you for, it may be the 20th thing you say thank you for, but at a certain point, you're going to get to a state where you go, I have so much. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So again, this is another amazing tool that God is giving us in order to stay pure, to maintain the spiritual level of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur throughout the year. All right. Now, now I want to get even deeper. For me, anyway. So this is, this, I saw this thought. Um, it's in this wonderful book. I definitely recommend it. It's a whole series of books, actually. It's called Sukkah's Secrets. And it's by um, Rabbi David uh, Mizels. And it's, um, there's a whole series of these books on all the holidays. And they all go by this name. It's translated from the Hebrew. It's, uh, they've got Pesach secrets and Tefillin secrets and, you know, all the holidays. And Bar Mitzvah secrets. They've got all these things. And he collects uh, different, different thoughts from the Gemara, from the Zohar, from different great people uh, throughout history. So this is from the Ramcha, from Derech Hashem. It says, volume 4. Chapter 8, I guess, uh, number 2, if you want to look it up. And, and what the Ramchal says is something, there's a subject that we've been studying over the years, and you can look it up in other talks. Um, we've got a talk, i got a talk if you want to hear more on this subject called A Brief History of Light. Um, and basically, we've got a concept in Torah called the Or Haganus. The Or Haganus, when God said, let there be light, um, he wasn't talking about the light of the sun. 
The light of the sun is like a joke compared to this initial light that God made, like zillions of times greater than the light of the sun. And by the way, when we, when we experience heaven, so to speak, right? What, what that experience is, is that basically our soul gets plugged into this awesome light of God. So there's this direct radiation of God's light onto our soul. There's no, no in-between, no physical world, no body. And that we experience, it's called the Ziv HaShchina, right? The rays of the Divine Presence. And it goes straight into us. And that's like ultimate pleasure. Ultimate, ultimate pleasure. And it says that all of the pleasures of this world combined can compare to one moment in the next world. Because everything that we experience in this world, we're experiencing through the intermediary of our bodies, right? But can you imagine, like, direct light of God directly onto your soul? That's beyond, 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 okay? So this initial light, the Or Haganuz, God said, you know something, it's not proper that those who aren't righteous should experience this. So God made it. That's the let there be light moment. And there's this awesome Torah from, I saw in the B'nai Yisachar. He says that when it says that God saw the light, right? So in the Torah, it says God saw es ha'or, right? So God hid it away. So the question is, where did God hide away the light? So God saw the light, es ha'or, so the gematria of Es Ha'or, if you add it up, is 613. <laughs> amazing, 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 amazing. So God put this initial light into the Torah itself. And that's why we have to understand that the Torah is not a book. People who think that the Torah is a book have no concept of what Judaism is saying. No concept. What does it mean that God created the Torah 974 generations before the world was created? That's what it says in the Gemara. Does that mean before the world existed there was a book floating in the sky? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the Ratzon Elyon, the higher will of God, the will of God which comes down into the world and, and was transmitted through Moshe, and becomes the Torah. Let me put it into a, a better way. One of my favorite stories, I was on the Israelite program uh, a number of years ago in Jerusalem with Rabbi Aaron, and I had been learning a little bit, but, you know, for a lot of people, it was their first class in, in Judaism. And uh, so the first class of the first day, he looked at the people there, and he had a blackboard, and he said, Okay, what's the Torah? And someone raises their hand and says, A book of laws. And he says, Great. And he writes down on the blackboard, A book of laws. And then someone else raises their hand and says, A book of history. He goes, Great. And he writes down, A book of history. And I raised my hand, he goes, Go ahead. And I said, It's the infinite compressed into the finite. And he said, All right, let's hold off on that thought for a moment. <laughs> So, but that's what it is. It's, it's the will of God. That's what it means that it existed before the world existed. Because before God created the world, He had an intention for the world. And His intention for the world is the Torah. And then He brought down His will for the world into a concrete form. Right? He expressed it in a... And Reb Shlomo Karlach says something so awesome. He says, when you keep the mitzvahs of the Torah, you're praying God's prayers and you're dreaming God's dreams. I mean, what could be more awesome than that? What could be more awesome than that? So, the Ramchal says, now remember, the sukkah, the sukkah is one of two things. There's a debate in the Gomorrah. What's the sukkah exactly? So one says, one of the sages say, well, we lived in these booths, these huts, you know, these temporary structures in the desert, and that's what it is. 
Makes sense. Another one of the sages says, no, 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 it's more than that. We, when we journeyed through the desert, we were protected by the, what, what's called the Anani HaKavit, these clouds of glory. All right? And the clouds of glory surrounded us and protected us from, like, the sun and also, like, bows and arrows and scorpions and all sorts of things. And it led us through the desert. We, we, we walked through the desert surrounded by That's what the sukkah represents, the clouds of glory leading us toward, toward Israel. So now listen to what the Ramchal says. The Ramchal says that the clouds of glory radiated with the spiritual light God created on the first day of creation. Is that awesome? The Or Haganus, the Or Haganus was placed in the clouds of glory. So they radiated with this initial awesome spiritual glow. Not only that, but with that in mind, you can hear something really, really amazing, okay? Which is, Rabbi Akiva says, in Mesechta Yuma, okay, what was man, right, the mana that fell from heaven, the bread that fell from heaven? Man was condensed light. Right? We've got this concept of a tzimtzum, which is God condenses something from the spiritual to the physical. Man was actually pellets of light. Alright? So, so it says that, that the Torah was only given to those who ate man. Because the man was like purifying us incredibly. Just like the sukkah is purifying us amazingly and protecting and guarding this awesome spiritual state that we reach during Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And it also suggests, this is me sort of just triangulating all these thoughts, it also suggests that if the Or Haganus, this original light, was in the clouds of glory and Man itself was condensed light, perhaps it was condensed light of the Orhaganus that we were eating. Right? Which means, which means the spiritual level that we reached when we received the Torah is just beyond, 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 beyond. And that we can taste that a little bit in our sukkah because our sukkah somehow is aligning itself with the original sukkahs or the original clouds of glory. So there's a little trace of that, a little taste of that, that we can reach that original light. So, so let me just uh, add something, and then we'll start to wrap it up. Uh, I got this, like, electric green esrog this year. <laughs> You know, when I first entered into the Estrog market, <laughs> it's like I looked at those green ones and I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. You know, I don't know who buys those. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're kosher, they're selling them, but come on, you know. But, but, but somehow over the years, you know, I've sort of developed a taste for them, you know. And uh, actually, I didn't realize I had it right here. Here's my... Here's my esteric. It's already actually turning a little bit, little bit yellow, but, but here it is, and it's, you can see the shape of it. This, this is like, I think this is definitely one of the better esterics I've ever gotten in my life, you know? It's just great. And by the way, the bumps on the esteric, I have to thank my friend Jeff Mann. He told me this Torah in the name of one of the Rebbe's, because the esteric stands for the heart. Okay? And that the the bumps on the esteric is the heart reaching out. It's the yearning heart. You know, you can actually see it like it's a freeze frame of a yearning heart. Amazing. So, you know, some people like smooth esterics. Not me. <laughs> I mean, the bumpier the better, you know. And uh, so this has a lot of bumps. And it's got that nice shape and it's like a tower. See? But the thing that I got into, this all an introduction, what I got into big time this year, and I've never been into the pitum before, 
But this year, I like really got into the pitum. This is the pitum over here. By the way, the pitum is not where it's attached to the tree. You might think that it is. It's not. This is where it's attached to the tree. The, the, the actual, the bottom stem. So it grows like that. Okay? So now, the pitum, it's not kosher without a pitum. Interestingly, and we're not going to go into this, but it's... Yeah, it's not, it's not kosher if it has a pitum and it falls off. Some estrogen don't have pitums on it, and those are good to buy for children, because they might drop them. But, um, but if it has a, it has to have a pitum, right? So, so, so somehow this pitum, I was just kind of looking at it, and I was staring at it, and thinking, and I realized, and it, it hit me that it's sort of like, the estrogen is the heart, that the pitum is the antenna on top of the heart. Right? So it's sort of like, it's, you know, it's like totally kind of aligning your heart so that you can tune in. And I remember one of my teachers in Jerusalem, I, I saw him one year and then I came back the next year and he had really grown out his payas. All of a sudden he had long payas. And he saw me looking at them and he held them up and he said, yeah, this is to pick up like the Wi-Fi, right? Like the FM, you know? <laughs> So it's like you've got this amazing construct where the esrog is not kosher if it doesn't have the pitum, right? It's like, so to speak, the antenna, like tuning in the heart, right? So I mentioned this to my good friend Sam Glazer, and, and Sam said something beautiful. Before I say what Sam said, I'll just throw in one more thing. Another level of the pitum is it looks like the letter Yud. Right? So it's the letter Yud sitting on top of your heart. Okay? So with that in mind, Sam said, yeah, waiting to drop in. So what Sam was referencing was one of the most famous Torahs of the Kutzka Rebbe, who says that, it says in the Viahafta, in the next paragraph of the Shema, it says that you should put these words of mine, Alevavecha, God says, put these words of mine on your heart. And if you think about it, the phraseology is sort of strange. What, what should it say? It says, put them on your heart. What should it say? In your heart. It should say, put these words in your heart. So listen to what the Kutzka Rebbe says. Something phenomenal. He says, let's be real. How often is your heart actually open? So, you put these words on your heart. So in those moments when your heart opens, they're waiting there to fall in, to drop in. Yeah. Not just when it breaks. You know, I've heard that translated also, that when it breaks, but that to me says when I'm sad or something like that. It doesn't, doesn't have to be when I'm sad. I can see a squirrel and go, check it out! <laughs> That's an awesome squirrel! And my heart will open, not because it's broken, you know? Maybe because it's broken through the, the sense of, you know, just um, the mundane. So in that sense, yes. But I don't want to correlate any sense of sadness with it. It's just anything can open up the heart. And in those moments, you want the words right there so that, it can, so that they can fall in. And then to look back at the Esrug, you see the letter Yud really among the Aleph base really stands for Hashem. So you've got this letter Yud waiting on top of your heart, right? Waiting at all moments for the heart to open so that it can fall in, right? And that's what the antenna is. It's the connection of the heart, right, to God. That's, that's what it is. So, so, I think that that's a very important Torah. And I just want to add one thing to it. You see, there are a lot of people who I think have it off. And, and I think that this is a very common thought that I'm about to address in our generation. And I think these people mean well, but I think that they don't understand. And they're coming from a place where they think they understand even better. So I want to say this thought fairly strongly to uproot an incorrect thought that I think people have. People say, you know something? There are all these things that I have to do, and this and that, and then over a period of time, I'm just doing it by rote, 
And isn't it better if I wait till I'm really inspired and then I'm going to do it? Isn't that the better thing? Because otherwise I'm just kind of doing it by road and everything like that. And you see, that's coming from the standpoint that people's hearts are naturally open. And so when I do it, you know, I don't want to do it by road. Let me just, I'll, my heart will be open and then I'm going to do it. But you know something? Moments when the heart are opened, that is not our default setting. That is not our natural state. And if you don't recognize that, you don't recognize what a human being is. And that might sound like a bummer, but that's the truth. A person doesn't walk around 24-7 with an open heart. It's not reality. It isn't. So the, the genius of the Jewish system of life is that you do all of these things. And maybe, maybe you're not feeling any of them. But you know what is happening? They're piling up on top of your heart. They are piling up on top of your heart. And God doesn't go, where did I put my car keys? I can't find, they're all there. <laughs> all the moments are organized. And they're in one nice, neat stack. All of them. All of the efforts that you put in. One nice, neat stack on top of your heart. And when your heart opens, and hopefully it will be more often than not, they go right in. And that's reality. That's reality. So if you say to yourself, I don't want to do this because I'm not feeling it. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe you should do it because you're not feeling it. Maybe that's the best reason in the world to do it, because you're not feeling it. And you know what? You will feel it. Because right now your heart isn't open, but your heart's going to open, and you're going to benefit from all of those things. I'll just tell you something, just very personal. When I started on my spiritual path, I had a big revelation, which is understanding that the sages understood my nature better than I knew myself. That the rabbis knew me better than I knew me. Because we, we rationalize and we don't have the depth and breadth of knowledge that they have and everything like that. And people say, I'm different and all the rest. And when we see the foundations that they established about human nature, and remember, Judaism is extraordinarily optimistic. In fact, one of my favorite factoids that I learned from Rabbi Cardozo is that Schopenhauer, one of the great secular philosophers, right, blamed optimism on the Jews. <laughs> he was so mad at the Jews because we gave the world hope. And he was angry about that. But we're very optimistic. So the foundations are very good foundations that we have about human nature and about the world. You know, we can invest in them and we can take stock in them. You know, it takes a little bit of humility, though. Because you say, I've gotten through life this way. Well, all right. Mazel tov. <laughs> there are lots of levels. All right. So, so, so let me just... Uh, let me just finish with this one last thought. And this is, I love this thought, and I hope that you'll think about it, because I don't know if I'm going to be able to successfully communicate it. Okay? Or maybe it's just a very simple thought, but I'm still wrapping my mind around it, so I feel as though I'm not communicating it. But, but here it is. When the Jews left Egypt, remember, we dwelled in Sukkot, Okay? Now, our travels from Egypt to Israel functioned on a number of different levels, okay? On the one hand, it was just going from Egypt to Israel, okay? But on another hand, it was a microcosm for all of human history. And that going from Egypt to Israel represents going from exile, this state of exile, to redemption. 
In other words, the entrance to Israel represents the Messianic era. Okay, Israel's not just the land, but in terms of Torah thought, it means the finish line. It means tikkun olam, the finished, perfected world. Okay? We traveled in sukkahs, going from Egypt to Israel. Okay? Now, and we got to Israel. And that was it. That's on one level. But we're still going from Egypt to Israel today because we're still working on perfecting the world, being partners with God. That's what the Torah and Mitzvahs are in terms of perfecting the world. Okay, we're still traveling toward Israel. And you want to hear and here's the end of the thought. We're still in the same sukkahs. In other words, we're still on the identical journey that our mothers and fathers were on. It's still taking place. When we're in the sukkah, it's not like, oh yeah, our great, 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 whatever, how many ever greats, grandfathers and grandmothers made this journey, and so because they did it, we're doing this. That's not it. We're still getting there. We're still on the road. We're still traveling in time toward a perfected world. And just like they traveled in sukkahs, we're still traveling in sukkahs. It's the same mission. It's not something, some remembrance that happened. We're still on that road and we're still in the sukkahs. So it's just this. It's just this incredible thing. It's taking place right now. Everything that you read about in these books and everything like that, it's happening right now. And when you enter into a sukkah, you're in it. You're in it. So, God should bless us that we should get there, that we should experience all the integration and all the harmony, heaven and earth, spiritual and material, body and soul, all these levels that we're talking about that we should be able to be happy and to safeguard and protect this level of purity that we've reached, to stay in gratitude, and that any decree, God forbid, of exile that may have been decreed upon us, that we should not only have it taken care of, but that we should make it beautiful, that we should make it beautiful, and that it should guard and protect us through all of our travels through the year and through life and on the road to Mashiach. So, one, one last thought, just to tie everything together. So, in terms of the, the, the Lulav and the Esrig, the, 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 the four species, the Arba Minim that, that, that we shake, um, just something, I never really thought of it in this way before, but it sort of came to me this year, the following. Two sort of famous teachings, but I'm just going to kind of put them together. Which is that the, the, um, each one of the species represents, we say, a different type of Jew. And, uh, you know, there are four species, and this also correlates with the Yudke Vavke and, its, uh, and the four worlds. And so there's a lot going on in terms of what's happening. And, of course, they all have to be put together. So, again, this is all about integration, again, and, and harmony. Okay? So the... We've got the, um, the Aravas, which don't have any smell or taste. That actually correlates with the, the Yud, okay? Because it's beyond, right? This highest aspect, there's no, there's no taste and no smell. See, in this world, we, we say that it's someone who's not doing any learning or, or doing any mitzvahs. But the idea is that when you're when you're, when you're making correlations with the divine name, this first letter Yud is so beyond, 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 beyond that we can't attach anything to it at all because it's just beyond, okay? So that's kind of striking. Then you have the Lulu, then you have the Hadassim, then you have the Esrik. The Esrik already is smell and taste combined, which is someone who's doing and learning. And that correlates with this world because that's the world of action. This is the world of action that we live in. So that's the, the most that you can be doing, learning and doing. So that's the, that it all comes down into that. Anyway, but it represents those who learn, those who don't learn, 
those who do, those who do without learning, those who learn without doing. Those are the four different categories and we bring them all together. All right. Now, now they also represent the parts of the body. We were talking about the estrog is the heart, the lulav is the spine, the hadassim look like eyes, and the aravas, the, the willow branch, each of the uh, leaves looks like the lips or the mouth. Okay, so this represents the human body. So I want to put these two thoughts together, that it's all the people, all of the different parts of our people coming together, and all of the different parts of our body also coming together. And I heard a wonderful, wonderful story, like a parable, which is so beautiful, and it goes like this. There's a father who's exhausted. He just, ah, he's just so beat after work. And he's just sitting down, he's reading the paper, and his young child comes up full of energy and wants to play. And the father just doesn't have any strength whatsoever, just, just can't do it. So the father says to the kid, wants to buy some time. So he tells the child, look, here's a map of the world. It was from the newspaper, right? Here's a map of the world. And it's a very complicated map. And he rips it up into a lot of different pieces. And he says, go and put this map together. And when you put the map together, then we'll play. So the father feels like he's bought himself a lot of time. So like moments later, the child comes back and the father can't believe that the child has been able to do it so quickly, you know? And, and the father says, how did you do it so fast? And he said, on the other side of the paper was a picture of a person. I put the person together and the whole world fell into place. You see? So you see how these two aspects are coming together? How it represents all the different parts of a human being. And it also represents all the different aspects of our people. And if each one of us succeeds in putting ourselves together and are aligning ourselves, our personalities, our relationship between the soul and the body, if we put it all together properly, the entire world comes together in peace and in harmony. Okay. Should be a beautiful, beautiful circus.